Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. It's your daily dose of Donna. Welcome to the show. Good morning. It's Thursday, February 1st. We have made it. World, life, everything can only go up from here. We have passed out of the the longest, most challenging month of the year, January, at least for me. It was a toughie. I'm going to turn off my heater here. It is a cold, so cold, rainy, windy day here in Los Angeles. We actually have a storm upon us, um, and you know me. You know, you know my mood. I, I'm very connected to the weather. I'm a weather woman. Maybe I'm a, maybe in my past life I was a weather girl. I'm very connected to the weather, and I feel very, uh, you know, uh, my mood depends on whether or not the sun is out or not. But the sun is not out. However, I'm in a great mood. I'm in a great mood. I just had an amazing episode on Amy Phillips' podcast, Drama Darlings. I freaking love that girl. I've known Amy for over 10 years, maybe 12 years now. And um, she's phenomenal. She's so she's so talented. Remember, she was the host of Reality Checked on Radio Andy five days a week. It started, I think, just once or twice a week. And then um, it turned into five days. I was a guest on that show a few times over the years. Um, back when I was working in casting. So Amy and I have a good friendship and she was on, she'll be on my show probably next week. Anyway, we talked all about Beverly Hills. So you can go over there after you listen to our show and listen to hers because I think it will be out today. It's called Drama Darlings. We talked about a lot of things. Talked about podcasting. We talked about starting your own business and how hard that is. Because remember, she did five days a week on Sirius. She was a contracted Sirius employee doing Radio Andy Reality Checked. And actually, there's a lot of like serious news, not like serious, serious, but like serious, the radio serious news today because on Radio Andy, there is a shift in the schedule. A lot of you guys saw that, that Jeff Lewis Live is now going to be a two-hour show rather than a one-hour show. His after show will now be moving to Radio Andy. So here in LA, that's at 9 a.m. and it will go from 9 to 11 a.m., which is perfect timing for my show. And um, and the second hour will be called Jeff Lewis Extended, I believe. But it's essentially going to be the same. It's just you won't have to switch on over to another network. Now, Reality Checked also has some changes. They're going to have three guests. I don't know if it's only a three-day show, but my friend Kiki, Kiki Monique from the Talk of Shame, she posted this morning that she is going to be on every Monday as a, as the host on Radio Andy, which is a huge deal. Tuesdays will be Dorinda, and Wednesdays will be uh, LaKendra, LaKendra Tooks. Now, I have to be 100% honest. I don't listen to Reality Checked. I don't. I, I have no problem with it. I just don't. 
Maybe I'll try listening to it. I love Kiki. I love the talk of shame, the website, her Instagram, sorry. And I love her podcast. I think it's called like, um, it's like pop culture and like legal or crime stuff. It's actually a really great show. She's going to be a guest on my show too. We've been going back and forth. So um, I'm looking forward to hearing that switch around. What do you guys think about Dorinda being a guest on, I mean, being a host of Reality Checked? I find that so interesting because she had Make It Nice with Dorinda. And now all of a sudden she has, you know, she's covering reality shows. I just find it interesting. Like who's next, Bethany? Getting Bethany on there? Um, so remember how I just said that, you know, cold weather puts me sometimes in a little bit of a yucky mood. Uh, the one thing that I can do when I'm in a bad mood is talk about my problems. And I want to remind you guys that this episode is sponsored by BetterHelp because you need to give online therapy a try at betterhelp.com slash Donna, that's D-A-N-A, and get on your way to being your best self. A common misconception about relationships is that they have to be easy to be right, but sometimes the best ones happen when both people put in the work to make them great. Therapy can be a place to work through challenges you face in all of your relationships, whether it's friends, work, your significant other, or anyone. Remember we saw an article a little while ago about, I think we talked about on the show, Jessica Alba had talked about she and her daughter, Honor, who I think is like 15-ish is, uh, you know, she's a teenage girl and they go to therapy together, like mother-daughter therapy. So if you don't want to go alone, but you have some sort of relationship in your life that you want to make better, better help is amazing for that reason. Um, just to have someone anonymous, I mean, obviously you're going to get to know them, but it's not like you have to ask a friend. You fill out a questionnaire. It's super easy, convenient, and flexible. Become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit betterhelp.com slash Donna, that's D-A-N-A, today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Donna, D-A-N-A. So thank you, BetterHelp, for sponsoring this tough AF week in the Daily Dose land. But we're going to trudge our way out of it, and we're going to talk about some fun things. First of all, there's only, I think it's only three spots left in my podcast class. If you guys are interested in joining my podcast class, it's a four-week class. We start February 20th. Get your podcast off the ground. I did talk to Amy all about podcasting today. Um, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to kind of see uh, the future of podcasts. Remember yesterday I talked about the two Ts, the empire. Did you guys see that? That they started, oh, I didn't even say this on the show yesterday. I just mentioned that Teddy Mellencamp had her new show, but then Tamara had posted that she and Teddy started basically a network for iHeart called Two T's Presents. And under their umbrella, they have the twats, right? The two T's, they have the Eds, but then they also have Tamara's Traders podcast. They have that new popping off podcast with Teddy and Emily. They have I Por Favor with Alexia and Marisol, bro. And then they have two J's and a J, J Jersey J's. What is it? The two J's. And that's Jackie and Jackie and um, Jen Fessler. And if you guys listen to my Patreon, you'll remember my conversation with Jackie and Jen, or I'm sorry, with Jen and Teddy in the bathroom at BravoCon or at the Four Seasons at BravoCon when I was hanging out with Teddy in the bathroom. That was a, quite a story. It was fun. 
um, that was like a minute before. Literally, it was like an hour before she went on and did that squash that beef with Vicky, which like got so much press because it was so... Okay, so that was fun. Thank you, everyone, for subscribing to my Patreon. Yesterday, I released an episode, the last and final time I'll be talking about all the ups and downs of this week and why I got involved and how I was involved. And so the why and the what and the, you know, explanation and that is done. If you don't know what I'm talking about, power to you. I wish I was you. Really, honestly, what I would do to not know what I was talking about at this moment. But you guys, I did see a great little fun article this morning about Cole Sprouse. Cole Sprouse was a guest on Radio Andy this morning. I tried to listen to a few minutes of it, but I didn't have enough time because of doing Amy's show. So I didn't listen to the entirety of it. I know he's promoting his new film, Lisa Frankenstein. Cole Sprouse is freaking 31 years old. Guys, wrap your head around that. Do you know who Cole Sprouse is? Cole Sprouse is one half of Dylan and Cole Sprouse. They were the twins that started their careers as young, young kids on Friends. They played, whose sons did they play, Roth? Or whose kids did they play? Now I can't remember. Then they, they or or was they, they weren't twins on that show? I can't remember. They were in Big Daddy. They were in so many things as very, very young kids. And then um, in 2005, they started Sweet Life of Zach and Cody. And they ran that from 2000. Let me get my years straight. 2005 to 2008. And then 2008, I came in and was casting Sweet Life on Deck. So you guys remember, oh, it was Ross's son with his lesbian ex-wife. That's right, Leslie. Thank you. So you guys remember that, um, you know, before this world, I was a casting director and my first show as a casting director, meaning I wasn't an assistant or an associate, but this was our first show was Sweet Life on Deck. So that was coming on in at the last three years of Sweet Life of Zach and Cody. And then finding a few new characters for the next journey. And if you have kids, or maybe you were watching this as a younger kid, um, it was a, uh, you know, uh, a boat. It was literally what we were talking about yesterday, road rules. Remember when they did a road rules semester at sea? It was that, but for kids, they were on like this fun ass cruise ship, but they were in school. So it was called Sweet Life on Deck. It was so fun. And, um, and it was a great experience. Honestly, we had such a good time. We worked really, really hard. I was very clear that between Cole and Dylan, there's two of them. Cole was the one that was Jughead on Riverside. So if any of you guys want to watch it, I absolutely loved, loved Cole. Dylan, I never had like a very strong relationship with Dylan. He was always a little bit more, um, I would say, I don't want to say, he wasn't rude. He was just like a little bit more introverted. It felt like Cole was hanging out in our offices every day. Um, we were just upstairs from the production, from the stage, the sound stage. So he would come upstairs. He would tell us about the girls he had crushes on. He would tell us about drama down on set. Super fun um, and sweet and, and great kid. And it sounds to me like he's really kept it together. He's a smart guy. He has a big, big career. And... Um, and, you know, he was talking uh, today on Daily Mail. There's an article that says Cole Sprouse reacts to Kim Rhodes' comments regarding his twin Dylan, refusing to make a fat joke about her on Sweet Life of Zach and Cody. So there was like, there's been all these articles and things going on lately with Kim. Kim Rhodes played their mom on the show. This is like a real, real uh, 
you know, mm, how can I say it? Like a uh, uh, niche conversation. But essentially, Kim Rose was their mom on the show. And she says that Dylan refused to make a fat joke, meaning the writers wrote in a fat joke and refused and she refused to, you know, say it out loud. Also, there was another thing about how writers were making fat jokes or fat comments about Dylan, um, who's a kid, right? I think, you know, what's interesting to me is when I and I'm happy to get into this another episode. If you guys are interested, you let me know. But the toxic culture of working on these shows back in those days, and I'm not just calling out Sweet Life. I'm saying like all of these type of shows, these writers' rooms. This was in the early 2000s. This was right on the cusp of when that Big Friends lawsuit happened. I don't know if you guys remember. There was a big lawsuit about... I think a writer's assistant sued some of the writers of Friends, actually two writers that I worked with, Andrew and Ted, um, on a different show. And it was because the the toxic culture of these writers' rooms, like everyone was thrown under the bus, right? They didn't care about offending people. There was no offending people at that time. Like it wasn't allowed to be offended. So being a young girl, right, like I was 20 – Five twenty. I was twenty six years old when I started casting that show, and um, and the way that I would t- be talked to in the writers' room, it was just it was unreal, right? Unreal, and that is like a whole other story. We can talk about that absolutely another day. But Cole was talking about how they kind of had their back. He was saying, you know, Dylan and him had the other cast members back. Production is so cool in this way. So if you guys are, you know, interested in any of these shows or whatever, the way it works, and like I said, this is such a niche conversation, but on a multi-camera sitcom, right? So if you have a multi-camera sitcom, which is basically a sitcom that you hear a laugh track, just think of it like that, right? Where it's like the Friends sitcom, right? Where there's no wall between you and the camera, meaning the camera can't do a 360 because there's a live audience watching and you hear that laugh track. That's a multi-camera sitcom. A single camera sitcom is something like Young Sheldon or um, The Middle. I'm trying to think of any other ones like off the top of my head. If you can only imagine the difference, right? So on a multi-camera sitcom, the way it works usually, if we're doing a Monday through Friday production schedule, Monday is the table read, Monday morning, where the whole cast and a lot of the staff, casting directors, writers, producers, executives are on or in the table read room. The the actors all read their roles with laughs and everything, and the writers get to hear it for the first time. The studio gets to hear it for the first time and decide, do they have any notes, right? There's like standards and practices and all these people and whatever. Then they take that and they start doing rehearsals. Tuesday is the first run through for just the staff, just the writers. Wednesday, and then they rejigger and change the the script for the next day. Wednesday is the big run through with the studio and network. So like Disney would come to the run through, all their, you know, executives. And we'd walk from scene to scene and we'd see kind of how it would look on the set. Thursday was the first day of live taping for the episode, but there was no audience. So they would block and shoot throughout the day. From morning until night, they would shoot different parts of the scenes. Thursdays and Fridays were always more fun. There was big craft services. There was big catering. There was a lot of fun. Um, 
and just more like you could go down on set and watch them tape, right? So if we had a really big guest star that week that we hired or a big person that whatever, really fun. Then Friday was like the, the, you know, the culmination of the week where they would do more blocking and shooting through the week, pre-shooting scenes. And then around 3 p.m., 4 p.m., if any of you guys have ever gone to a live taping, the audience would come on in. The, the mic guy, you know, he was like the MC or the warm-up guy would start kind of telling them jokes. They would announce the cast. Everyone would do the clapping. And then they would start going through the whole show. The scenes that they had pre-taped they would air on a TV screen to see the audience's reaction so the audience could stay in the story. And then they would take probably five or six big scenes in that moment. Now, the point is, the point is, it was such an experience, such a fun, amazing family experience. And so Cole basically says that the process of working on those shows, you become family. And we were, we were all family. There was dating, there was marriages, there were best friends, there were breakups, there were parties. Like it was an amazing, wonderful experience. I really did enjoy uh, working on those shows. And if I ever look back at casting and say, do I miss any of it? I don't miss casting at all, but I do miss being on set because that's what I wanted to do when I was a kid. I remember just being a kid growing up here in Los Angeles. And when I was Eight years old, my dad took me to a live taping of Designing Women because he delivered Gene Smart's baby. So I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Like I had never watched Designing Women. I didn't know who these people are. Can you imagine that I was hanging out with Delta Burke and Gene Smart? Had no idea. And so I was standing around and I was looking around like this is the coolest thing ever. And then when I was in seventh grade and it was my birthday. My mom said, what do you want for your birthday? I said to go to see a taping at Full House. Like I just wanted to be on the set. So that part to me was the coolest, right? And I have a lot of stories like that through the years. Anyway, I loved hearing that Cole Sprouse was on Radio Andy today with Andy Cohen. Good for him. Really, really proud of him. I mean, it takes a lot for a child actor to grow up and be professional and be on top of it and be smart and be good. And I think for them, well, I think in general, the difference between kid actors that go completely awry and kid actors that stay good are the ones that have good parents. That is a huge part of it. And I know Cole and Dylan did not have a good relationship with their mom, but their dad was a pretty cool dad and he was always on set and stuff. And they also had each other. I think twins are very, very different and interesting. You know, Chris, I did not listen to the actual interview. I said that I, I wanted to, but then I got busy because I was doing another show, but apparently he has no lines in this new movie, but he still wanted to do it. All right. We got to move on to some stories. Because we watched Beverly Hills and Miami last night. And let me take you to church because that's what they did. We go to church in two different cities today. We go to church in Barcelona. We go to church in Mexico City. And honestly, I went to church because Wednesday, I went to my own personal church because Wednesdays are some of my favorite nights on Beverly, on uh, Bravo Worlds, you know? Uh, okay. I'm going to start with Miami because I really like always kind of holding on to Beverly Hills as the as the crux of the show because I find Beverly Hills much more enjoyable to recap. Um, Miami was, once again, I look, I really am trying so hard to like the show, but this is like the crux, the, the cream of the crop of screaming loud 
crazy, angry ladies. <laughs> like, this is the reason why these shows sometimes give you like a little bit of a headache. It's beautiful. It's shot beautifully. Their outfits are gorgeous. They are gorgeous. But between Lisa's like intensity and Adriana and, and Alexia and like all these big ass personalities, it's almost too much in the same cast. Like it's too much. It's too much big personalities. So it's a lot. I like the show and I will continue to watch the show, but it doesn't, it's hard for me to kind of feel like I'm following story. Now, if you just give me Nicole and Gertie and like maybe one big character or two, I'm okay. But it's, it's, it feels, it feels like a lot. Now I see the comments tell me exactly how polarizing this, this opinion is, right? We got people that say, I love Miami. It's the best. How could you not like it? And then there are people saying, I just can't watch it or I keep forgetting to watch it. So that's the thing about these shows. There's certain shows that just you're feeling in the moment. It also has to do, in my opinion, has to do with when you are in a certain like place in your own life. Have you ever thought about that? You know, when you're in a really, really sad mood, it's impossible to watch happy people. It's like, it feels like hard to watch happiness when you're feeling sad. You want to listen to sad songs and watch sad movies. Or if you're in a really good happy place, like you don't want to watch like depression and sadness and screaming. I, I think that has to, a lot to do with it too. It's like, where are you in your moment in your own life? And that will kind of change how you take on these shows. That's why I, who was I talking to? about this. I can't remember who I was talking to about this. Oh, I was saying it on my Patreon yesterday. How some seasons you could be like, not even seasons, episodes where you could be like, I'm obsessed with Sutton this episode. And next week you're like, I can't stand Sutton. Like it goes so much like that. Okay. So, so the episode starts going to the church with Guadalupe. Now I am Jewish. So I don't know a lot about this history, although I did find it beautiful. And I know there was a Facebook post about it. I saw it at some point last night. And I'm interested to see kind of more of the history of it. But apparently Guadalupe, to, to pray to Guadalupe is like a very, very powerful um, spiritual figure in, in the religion. So seeing them go to this church, I thought was beautiful. I'm glad Nicole's there. Nicole finally came in um, because Nicole brings levity the show, she brings a, a level of, you know, grounding. And I really, really, you know, enjoy watching Nicole. So they go to this church. Ugh, we Okay. I am very pro spirituality and religion. If that, that is something that you believe in, if you pray to something like, please, are you kidding me? Love it. I, I'm all about it. But and I did think it was a beautiful scene. I did. Okay. I'm not going to be negative about it, to be honest. I think it was a beautiful scene. I also forgot about Julia and her story about her son. I am so sorry that this happened, that I forgot about this. I don't remember hearing about this last season, but Julia goes into a story that she had an eight-month-old son, trigger warning, who, um, who got very badly injured by a, a caretaker, like a nanny or something. and. It was really, really traumatic because he ended up passing. And that was the last time she had ever been in a, in a church was for his funeral. Okay. 
if the, if any one of you are watching any of these shows and don't immediately feel for someone who loses a baby in that horrid, awful way, then you've got to check your uh, your conscious right conscience. Like that is just absolutely the most tragic thing I can ever imagine. Maybe to lose a kid, especially in that way absolutely awful. So I can understand Julia was triggered. And it comes up, I think, a little bit later when they're on their boat ride. So they go to the church. Of course, Gertie is very emotional. Understandably, she's going through a very challenging and scary health crisis. Larsa ends up really being there for her, which is a quick switch. It's kind of like Anna Marie and Crystal on Beverly Hills, right? There's like a quick switch of, you know, we just went from yesterday, Larsa saying she has fake tears to now being her partner. See, that's the thing about people in life. You can fight, you can struggle, you can this, you can that. But when you're going through something hard, that's when you know where your friends are. I'm just being honest, right? And so I find I find that like a really interesting kind of take. So, okay. Gertie and Larsa have that moment. Now, Lisa's big storyline throughout this entire season is Lenny and the culmination or the ending of her her marriage. And I can imagine how hard that could be. I can imagine if you're on a vacation and you're being presented all these things where you have to sign these divorce papers and kind of finalize a marriage, how challenging that would be, how hard that would be. So I want to give Lisa some grace. Although for some reason, I don't feel like this is the time that she actually is like Still, is she still in severe mourning or is she just like playing this up? Is this a money thing? It is, it is really confusing. She has some sort of weird deal with him where she's like, he'll build me a house. This, that's not, that's a no. That's a no for me. Like, why are you trusting your ex-husband who despises you to do anything for you? Just paying the bare minimum of child support sometimes is hard for these kinds of situations. Now, I'm not someone that's gone through divorce. I'm a child of divorce, and I just remember how toxic and horrible it can be. And this is playing out in public, like, ugh. But so I I will give Lisa a little grace because she does have a hard episode. She's kind of had a hard season. Let's be honest. Lisa's kind of had a hard season. Like, she, she's not really coming off so amazingly or easy in this in this season, right? which comes up again on the boat ride. So let's go to the boat ride from hell. Literally, note to self, don't get on a boat with housewives. Don't go to dinners with housewives. Um, Don't go on vacations with housewives. Don't go on walks with housewives. Don't go to Vegas. Okay, just don't go on housewives (laughs) because none of this is is ever going to go well. So they go on this beautiful big boat I was a little tuning out during this part, the beginning of it, when they're just kind of getting ready, talking to Jorge, who's pushing them. Oh, how didn't he push the boat? We're such big weight. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. So they're sitting there at this boat ride. They're having conversations about Kiki giving Jorge a blowjob. Like, I was like, wait, what? What show? What's happening? Now, something happens. A couple of things happen with Lisa during these conversations. The first thing is Larsa mentions to Lisa, you know, it's hard to find, it will be hard to find someone that's willing to put up with you. Tell me the lie. Larsa, that was harsh, but this is where Lisa lacks any self-awareness. And this is, I think, the hardest part when you watch these housewives, because what makes a good housewife? Someone that lacks self-awareness, right? 
But when we watch someone like Lisa, who's like, what are you talking about? I am not high maintenance. I am not needy. I'm not difficult. That's like me saying that I don't have a podcast. That's like me saying I don't, I'm not wearing glasses right now. Like facts are facts, right? You have to believe that you cannot actually go through life and not recognize and be Lisa and not recognize that you're a low high maintenance or needy. Like it's so obviously who she is, but she was taking offense to that. So Larsa was already on her shit list. Now, meanwhile, you're wondering what are the other girls doing? Um, I don't really know what Adriana is doing. I know that Kiki is, you know, making funny quips left and right over there. Nicole is kind of MIA. She's not really there. Gertie's just, you know, sitting pretty. Julia is making out with every girl she possibly can. I have never. Who do they say? Oh, you know how on Vanderpump Rules we say Tom Schwartz is the makeout bandit or the kissing bandit or whatever makeout slut, whatever he calls himself. Julia and thank God. Goodness, they talked about what Martina would think about this because Julia is literally not able to get through one episode without trying to kiss another girl. Has anyone ever noticed this? Like, now Julia is a lesbian, so she's into girls. That's why I think it's kind of interesting. It would be like if a guy in every single episode, like Austin on, well, I guess that probably does happen on Southern Charm, but take, um, yeah, like take a Southern Charm, take like, you know, uh, JT. What if JT literally was like kissing all the girls in every episode? You'd be like, what's going on? Julia is like dying to make out. She's dying to make out. I did get a moment though with Julia that I really, because you know, I've, I've been struggling. I find her a little bit boring. Um, when she talked about her son, you mentioned that the only thing that was there for her during that really lonely time was her dog. And that's why she has such an affinity for animals. And it all makes sense. If you know one thing about grief, you know that sometimes you kind of like latch on to things that feel like they're giving you that support or filling that void. For Lise, for Julia, it's her animals. For Kyle Richards, it's shopping, right? We'll get into that in just a second. But I find it really, really uh, sad to hear Julia's story, but it does all kind of track. Julia needs love. Like she's a very, you know, Lisa's needy with her finances and Julia's needy with love, like kissing. She just needs to kiss everyone and anyone she can. Then we cut into one of the most insane fights I've ever seen on any reality show. And it was because Lisa fed stray dogs and said they're getting fed better because she was giving them human food. And Kiki takes pers this personality or this comment. And I love Kiki, but this was out of control. Did anyone else feel like Kiki taking offense to this felt way too sensitive? She got so sensitive saying, why do you think that dogs, just because they're here, they don't get fed as well? Huh? It makes no sense. That's like me giving my dog, you know, part of my chicken dinner and saying, here, it's better than your dog food. And, and Lance being like, why, why would you say that our dogs don't get fed well? It wasn't even Kiki's dog. Like, it was so confusing to me. Lisa was just trying to be cute or sweet or funny. Like, I, I'm, I'm confused. I'm confused. Now, I want to know from you guys how you felt about that. Because I, I felt like I missed something if I wasn't getting offended. Um... But then Kiki and Lisa start going at it, right? And Lisa 
stood up. Okay, so a lot of you guys are saying, I understand how I understood how Kiki felt. It's a cultural thing. Unless you are raised in that type of environment, you will not understand. Do you think that Lisa said that the dogs have not are not getting fed as much or as well because it was human food or because it was like a racist conversation because they were in Mexico? Interesting. Well, look, I'm here to learn. I'm like Dorit. I am here to learn. I'm like Dorit and Whitney. Um, interesting. Okay. Okay. She insulted the culture. I am so open to learning any of this stuff. I really didn't like think about that at all. Um, I know that like, there's a lot of stray dogs and stray cats in different countries. I know for sure. Like if you go to Thailand, for example, the amount of stray dogs walking around. If you go to Israel, there's so many amounts of stray cats just walking around. So this was interesting. It was classist. Lisa insulted the culture. Okay. I'm glad to hear this and I'm glad to know this because I was confused on this comment. But Lisa, instead of saying like, oh, that's not what I meant. See, this is the point about accountability. In this moment, had someone said, had Kiki said like, wait, why are you saying that that offends me or that's rude or whatever? Lisa should have been like, oh shit, sorry. Just like I just did. Like, sorry, I had no idea. I really did it and I'm here to learn. But Lisa was so sensitive because Lisa's not used to not getting her way. And she was really sensitive and she was really upset about, you know, um, I think everything going on. And I think there is a, a portion of Lisa that is victim heavy, loves being a victim, right? And she uh, she got really upset, got really upset and offended and stood up and got in. Well, she wasn't in Kiki's face, but she was standing up. And Kiki was like, whoa, girl, sit down, right? So then they're having this like big conversation of like, talk to me with respect. And Lisa was not backing down. So it was shut the F up, shut the F up, shut the F up, shut the F up, shut the F up. And then Kiki threw something at Lisa, food. Probably not the best response, but then it just turned Lisa even more mad, right? So everything kept going. Everything kept going. And... um. And so then she uh, she ended up going to um, she ended up going to uh, you know a calmer place. Everyone just kind of calmed down when Lisa started to cry. See, a lot of times, sometimes when you cry, a lot of times when you cry, you you uh, you get people's. You get people to calm down, right? People feel bad when people see people crying. So, so anyway, this is what happened. And she started to kind of calm down and everyone calmed down. And then Larsa went after Lisa again. Like Larsa's not being the best friend to Lisa. And they are very, very close, right? She went to Lisa and she said, like, Lisa, if you stood up in my face like that, I would not handle it. You did not handle that well. Lisa was so over it. Lisa was on her phone with a ring light. She literally had a ring light this big, like on top of her phone. She's texting away while they're trying to kind of make things better and do some sort of big prayer and, you know, trying to kind of unite the company right before they, 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 you know, I felt like we were in Disneyland. They kind of maneuver this boat through one of the creepiest, most scary experiences I've ever seen on a TV show. And that is the Island of the Dolls, which is a basically a story about a, a woman who drowned, et cetera, et cetera. When I tell you 
No, thank you. Dolls are those things that I can see in a positive light, but the second it becomes scary, the second they look wicked or weird or scary, mm-mm. Mm-mm. There's a lot of hanging dolls from trees. And of course, you see baby dolls hanging from trees. And we're just hours out of Julia being in the church talking about her baby who died. It killed me. I felt so bad. I felt so bad about it. And um, and hopefully we get out of Island of the Dolls. Okay. That was kind of the majority of Real Housewives of Miami. Now let's move on to Beverly Hills. Now, Beverly Hills, I will tell you, uh, Beverly Hills is a show that I will always like. I will always watch. This is what I just said on Amy Phillips' show. Okay. Something has happened. We are in the upside down in Beverly Hills because if you just tuned in to yesterday's show, if you just tuned in to yesterday's show and Beverly Hills and saw what we saw. This is probably what you would think. You'd think Erica was the star, Sutton maybe also, and Kyle was a friend of. Kyle has retreated from her normal right in the middle of it, right in the in the drama of it, always got her like her girls, her Fox Force 5, her backups, instigating this and this and that. Kyle was basically not there. Did anyone notice this? I think Kyle had a major like 15 words spoken in the entire episode. And I noticed it last episode when you feel like she's there, but she's like kind of not really. It's like she's reserved. She's on her phone a lot. She's not really like listening or being active. I feel like she just wants to get out of there. She's there for a job and a job only. Now this could be for a variety of reasons. Clearly she's going through a lot in her own homeland, her homeland at home. And so maybe her mind is just reserved or, you know, she doesn't want to be there. I don't know. I find it really interesting. Now, the episode starts off with Crystal's crazy health um, situation, and she has an insanely high blood pressure, which is so scary. I understand why I would be scared. Now, Anna Marie has a moment here that she tries a little bit to be there for Crystal. And thank goodness for Anna Marie, because this gave her a little bit more of a redemption. But here is the thing, you guys. This is the truth. I figured it out. I figured out why Anna Marie is an 8.5 and not a 10. Remember in the first episode when we got introduced to Anna Marie, her husband famously said, I call her an 8.5. She's an 8.5 because she's never, she's, she's great. She's never perfect. And here's why. Because Anna Marie had a moment here as a nurse to take control of the situation, work on Crystal, help her, make her feel better, which she did, lay with her in the van, and, and, you know, rub her arm, which she did. And then say out loud, I just hope she doesn't stroke out. 8.5, 8.5. She could have been a 10, but a comment like that brings her right back to 8.5. It is unreal. I've never seen anything like that. If anyone taking care of me when I'm going through a scary situation says, I hope she doesn't stroke out, which by the way, the word stroke out just immediately scare the crap out of me, right? Um, so, so anyway, uh, Anna Marie really knocked the 8.5. She like really defined exactly 
her who she is. And Crystal goes on the um, ambulance with with Gavin. Gavin, the producer, none of the girls go with her. Anna Marie wanted to um, and claimed it was really hard for her as a nurse to not. But then she went, you know, then they decide to go into the church after standing up there forever, right? They're, they're probably up there 30, 40 mi- minutes waiting for the ambulance, et cetera. By the time they decide to go in the church, we start to see Erica's true colors. This is like Erica, the Spain edition. Erica comes out and she's like, oh, come on. I already did this 30 minutes ago, right? She doesn't want to go back into the church. She's like, they got up there. Crystal felt like she was going to die. And Erica's like, I'm out. I'm going to, pr- I'm going to go pray. I've dealt with this before. High blood pressure, high mud pressure. So they go inside the church. And this part I thought was interesting. Now, I am not ever going to judge anyone on religion whatsoever. But Kyle's Jewish. Okay. Judaism comes up in this episode a few times. But Kyle Richards famously converted to Judaism on the show. Not on the show, before the show. Like from season one, we've known Kyle is Jewish. Kyle is married to Mauricio, who's a practicing Jew. And Kyle has decided to raise her daughters, all Jewish. They're in bat mitzvahs. They've had bat mitzvahs. I know that Portia went to a neighborhood um, Jewish school that I know of. Kyle is not talking about being Jewish ever. Like it's not part of her identity anymore. And it has been in the past. Remember, she's talked, she's had Shabbat dinners. She's talked about being Jewish. It's been a part of her story until now, until this season. Kyle got on her knees and prayed in a, was it Catholic? A Catholic church. I went to a mass one time because I was dating a, a guy who was Catholic and I went to a midnight mass because I was visiting for Christmas. And I remember being like this, it, I'm happy to be here because I'm your, I'm your girlfriend, but I'm not, I can't get on my knees and pray. Like there's a certain level of what you feel like you can do or not. I want to be here. I want to be supportive. I can't get on my knees and pray. I found it really interesting. Now, maybe it's only something a Jewish person picks up on. But I noticed that the first time. Then I noticed that Dorit handled it like a normal, you know, person that maybe feels like this is not my religion by saying like, do I have to light the candle? I'm happy to be here, but I'm not going to, you know, pray in a church. Okay. Interesting, I thought. Sutton and Kyle have such a beautiful moment in this church. I wish like there was more of this. You can see that Sutton and Kyle really love each other. And it sucks that now in real life, they're not friendly, but her, she and, um, she and, she and Sutton, basically Kyle and Sutton had this moment where they talked about like two people that have passed away in their lives, right? They talked about Sutton's dad. They talked about Lorraine, Kyle's friend who had just passed away and they had a beautiful moment. They had a beautiful, friendly moment. Sutton's like, I wish I was a better friend or I'm sorry, I haven't been a better friend. Like, I loved that. I loved it. They go to lunch and they end up having this boozy lunch in some town square. And this is the most I noticed where Kyle was reserved. Like if you rewatch that scene, Kyle does not say a damn word. Just quiet. She does say one sentence, I think, throughout the entire episode. Um, 
Oh, this is interesting. Leslie says Sutton apologized, but Kyle didn't. Huh. Huh. Did we just not see it? Did we just not see it? I would be interesting. I would be interested to see that. So they're sitting there and they're having a lovely conversation just about life and, and all of these things. And Garcelle and Dorit have what a great conversation this was. Why did I think it was great? Clearly, we know that there's been issues between Garcelle and Dorit with microaggressions, with, you know, Garcelle feeling like Dorit is speaking to her in a different way and with a different connotation because she is a black woman and Garcelle called Dorit a Karen. And so there was this weird kind of like shit between the two of them. Here was a moment where Garcelle brings it up and talks about her issues with Dorit. And Dorit is silent and listens and then apologizes and thanks her for teaching her and then explains her own side about what it is, right? She explains her own side about how she feels about, um, you know, the fact that she, Garcelle may feel like Dorit is in a bubble, but she is actually, you know, she was raised Israeli in a non-Jewish neighborhood and was treated very wrong. It had a lot of anti-Semitic comments against her. Now, thank the heavens, this was not something that felt like Dorit was trying to put herself on Garcelle's level or say we're exactly the same or say your story is my story. But Garcelle, but Dorit was put, put in a position where she just was just giving Garcelle a little bit more insight on who Dorit is. And for that reason, Garcelle listened. And it was like such a great conversation. It was such a great conversation. And I really, truly wish that more conversations were had this way with tolerance, with acceptance, with like lack of feeling offended or defensive. I, I thought it was great. Did anyone else like really love this conversation between a black woman's experience and a Jewish woman's experience to minorities that have been persecuted through the years many, many times. They are not the same. They have very different stories, but they can both relate. I loved it. I loved it. And I wished we could have more of that tolerance. Um, anyway, we get back to the hotel. We see Crystal. She's doing okay. Everyone's kind of hanging out and being there for her, except Kyle. Notice that. Oh no, before that, well, I'll get to the shopping. Before like they're sitting there and everyone's like kind of hanging out and Kyle's like, okay. She picks up her purse. She's like standing by the door. Kyle had no interest in being in the show. Either she's over her job or something. I have no idea. So she is, is you know, by the way, before they got back to the hotel, they went on the shopping spree and it was the best. It was such a fun scene. Basically, Sutton was giving Kyle and Dorit three minutes to shop in this fan store. Dorit does not, I mean, I don't know if she has money problems, but who's buying seven fans? She bought seven hand-painted antique fans from Barcelona. Anyway, um, you know, Kyle had no problem. Kyle, Kyle lights up when she's in a shop. Mauricio can never emotionally fulfill Kyle. Know that. But an Hermes can. Did anyone think it was a little bit interesting and out of character? Kyle's confessional line about an Hermes is like the compass for me. If there's an Hermes, I'll know exactly where I am. I did not know Kyle to be this like money labeled girl. I always thought Kyle was a very 
grounded version of a wealthy person. Like I've never felt her to be showy. I mean, she always carries her Birkins and stuff, but I've never felt her to be such like a label person. Dorit is the person that walks around with like a Chanel tote to the grocery store. Dorit is all about labels. I thought that was so weird about Kyle. I was like, if anything, that would be something that Dorit would say or Sutton even. So I don't remember that side of her. I don't. Um, so anyway, they had uh, they had this conversation with Crystal. They were getting ready for paella night. They ended up going out that night. Downstairs, I have no idea where they were with Merce the Purse and Trevor, Merce's other friend. I love Sutton. Sutton's backstory. Like, give me more of Sutton. I, I want to watch Sutton as a child, as a 20-year-old in Brooklyn. Like, aren't you guys interested in Sutton's life? She has the craziest life. I just thought it was so beautiful, so wonderful. I just thought it was great. She um, she has an eclectic group of friends. I thought we were all of a sudden watching The White Lotus, if you watch the scene, right? They are, we have all the characters, right? We have the like, the woman from Lebanon who has this like amazing, beautiful accent. She's very smart. And then we have Trevor and he's like the, t- the gay, you know, friend of Sutton and the dancer. And then we have this other couple that like, I don't even remember who they are. And then we have all the housewives. Like, I just thought, oh my God, like, let's just see a documentary style show where they're stuck in a resort and there's like music playing. And Ryan Murphy, or not Ryan Murphy, Matt White, the creator of White Lotus and like Jennifer Coolidge just starts walking through with the paella. And then you have Storm the chef and his dad. I was like, this is White Lotus. I thought it was so good. So anyway, they have this um, fun conversation as Erica is just getting toasty upon toasty upon toasty. Garcelle wants to hook up with the chef's dad. Erica is drunk as a skunk. And Kyle is quiet. So Sutton's telling her stories, you know, Erica's talking crap about it, about the fact that, oh, you lived in Brooklyn. Like she was just so wild. And then she said, Merce on a purse. And, but the craziest part is that I have never in all my years seen someone get drunk and become a better version of themselves. (laughs) But Erica drunk becomes a Jeopardy contestant. Like Erica becomes Ken Jennings. Did you guys know that? She knew all of the stories. She knew about all the writers and the prophets and the fights and the this and the that. I thought it was so interesting. It's almost like, you know, like you, she got her wires crossed and all of a sudden became a different version of herself, like Parent Trap, you know, Freaky Friday. I liked it. But she was drunk and they ended up going back to their rooms. I love how Kyle was just searching for chocolate. That would be me. Kyle looking for chocolate after a long dinner is me in a nutshell. Like I am such a chocoholic. You can, not one meal can go by without me, you know, grabbing something sweet. And like someone said earlier, this thing needs my, my candy jar needs to be refilled after my peanut M&Ms. I think I'll switch it up. Maybe I'll do, um, Hershey's kisses like Valentine's. I got to go get a Valentine's chocolate for myself. So I am a big, sweet girl. Um, The next morning, Erica wakes up hungover. Lance walked in exactly in that moment. And he's like, whoa, who is that? Like, he couldn't even recognize Erica. I was like, no, no, no. This is what she looked like seven hours ago, right? They um, 
And this was when they had a moment where you could tell Sutton was getting pretty upset. She was having um, an, an emotional time talking about the ashes. Now, she was saying releasing Merce's ashes was in a way like releasing her dad's ashes and her marriage, her, you know, after the divorce. I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was wonderful. I thought it was uh, real. I thought it was genuine. I thought it was vulnerable. What I didn't think was really, uh, it, it was just kind of skipped over. And I just want to make sure <laughs> that we can, um, you know, talk about this. But did Sutton say that she lost her dad's ashes in a move? Anyone? Did anyone hear that? I feel like Sutton said, I really, I love, you know, I had my dad's ashes, but I just moved so many times. I don't know where they are. Where are Sutton's dad's ashes? Anyway, Sutton is getting very emotional about this. I understand. And I saw Kyle really coming to uh, help her and to be there for her, which is, again, why it makes me sad that Kyle and Sutton are not that close. Like, Kyle doesn't have her person anymore on the show, and that could be a big part of why we feel like she's just kind of a different character. She normally has her person on the show. Dorit and her are not really connected. Sutton and her are on and off doesn't really have it with Erica, Crystal, Anna Marie, or Garcelle. So it's just interesting, right? Now, in the preview for next week, we do see that the ashes, Merce's ashes, he was like, not yet, sister. I'm coming back. Like, never before in any TV show or movie have I seen people release ashes into the ocean without them coming back up into your face. Is this just like a thing that happens? Like ashes like struggle to go into water? Maybe there's like a gravitational pull or they just do it on a windy day. She pours the ashes and the ashes go straight into Crystal. Now, someone call 911 because Crystal's blood pressure is going to go back up. We have a little bit of a problem there. The, the ashes always blow back. Um, and... And then we do see a scene that I'm actually very much looking forward to. And this is a scene with Kyle and Mauricio. And then she's talking to Dorit and she basically says, if he's not going to put the effort in, like if he's putting so much effort into the agency, I wish he could put the effort into our marriage. But this is a spin because at this point, Kyle's already moved on. And I think a lot of times when you're already moved on in your marriage, you almost say, but look how he doesn't care. He doesn't care. But she was probably pushing him away is my guess. We'll talk about that more next week. Thank you so much, dosers, for being here every single day on Daily Dose of Donna. I look forward to it. It makes me happy. You guys make me happy. And thank you for giving me positive five-star reviews on the Apple Podcast app to negate the negative onslaught because that's part of being in this business. And I appreciate you all so much. I really do. Join the Facebook page, Daily Dose of Donna. We've got lots of great conversations, connections. And if you're part of the Patreon upper tier, remember, happy hour tomorrow night. Love you guys. Talk to you later.